Well, welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today in the show, I have Steve Sandusky, co-founder of ROL Advisor. ROL Advisor is an online platform that helps advisors or helps coach advisors through a process to help clients focus on return on life as opposed to just return on their investments. And with that, here's my interview with Steve. Steve, thanks for taking the time today. Yeah, well, happy to be here, Jason. So Steve Sandusky of ROL Advisor, tell us about ROL Advisor. Well, we started the company back in... 2017, and it was really an outgrowth of some earlier work that Mitch Anthony and I were doing related to retirement coaching. And we were getting a lot of interest from financial advisors to take some of these tools that Mitch had originally created for retirement coaching and turn them into digital tools. So we decided to create a new legal entity and hired some developers and created these digital tools that we call ROL Advisor, which stands for Return on Life. And the focus is really on helping financial advisors become essentially life advisors and not just give them the conversations to have, but also give them the tools and the tracks that they can follow so that they've got a, I would call it more of a repeatable way to have these conversations and the training that they need to go along with it. So uh, we've launched it, like I said, back in 2017. We've got over 200 advisory firms from about a dozen countries around the world that are using it. And so uh, we've been pretty excited about how it's been received. Yep, rightly so. Mitch is a well-known writer and speaker in this space. And you know, the only thing better than a book is actually the tool set to actually help you implement what's in that book, which is clearly where this idea came from. And frankly, you know, something I espouse to too, uh, in that essentially, the, as they always say, the, the returns are one thing, but at the end of the day, the only thing that really matters is getting what you want out of life. And you're just helping people both manage their practice that way, get clients to see it that way. And, and from what the looks of it, help monitor the progress along that way. Is that about right? Yeah, exactly. And one of the ways that we think about this is in terms of getting the client's storyboard. So ultimately, a lot of what we're doing here at ROL Advisor revolves around the discovery process. And we think of discovery not as a one and done process, but actually as an ongoing process throughout the life of the relationship. And so in terms of how we think about the storyboard, we look at it in terms of a time frame. And what I mean by that is we really oftentimes will start with the past and we want to understand what are the experiences that you've had in the past that have shaped your beliefs and your actions related to money. And so we have a tool that helps us understand the client's path and we call that the philosophy. And ultimately it answers the question, how did I arrive at my perspectives on money? Then we shift from the past to the present and we want to understand, well, where are you today? How well are you making progress in your life today? And the question that we want to answer there is, am I managing my money in a way that is improving my life? So once we have, the, we understand the past, where they've been, we understand the present, where they are, then we want to understand, okay, well, where are you going? What are the life transitions that you anticipate happening that we need to be planning for today? And so that's a little bit future oriented. And then we want to answer the question, am I financially prepared for life's big transitions. And as Mitch likes to say, it's better to prepare than to repair. And so with these life transitions, we're trying to identify what does the client think is going to happen? What can we prudently anticipate will happen? And then how can we plan for that today from a financial standpoint to make sure that they are as prepared as possible to deal with that? Excellent. I mean, a lot to unpack and digest there. I mean, so very much, it seems the core of your process is, I would say, more behavioral and psychological than anything else, right? You're, you said clearly you're talking about their experiences so that the advisor and the client can better relate to each other as to how they perceive money. You know, 
out of curiosity, how is that maybe different from your expectations in terms of how it got implemented or the experiences in running that process? You know, most of us typically find people very similar to us uh, when we advise. And was there any, what were the big discoveries along the way with this? Well, obviously, behavioral finance has been an important area here for the past maybe decade or so, maybe a little bit longer than that, as it's being adopted here in the financial services area. And oftentimes, financial advisors might get a little frustrated when they see the behavior of their client and they can't really understand, well, why is the client doing this thing, this 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 action, or why are they not doing something that they know is good for them? And what I think our system helps advisors do, coupled with the training that we provide with it, is to try and understand why people do what they do or why they don't do what they don't do. And this idea of getting the past stories is a key part of it because so much of our behavior today was, was influenced and derived from the experiences that we had in our formative years. And so by understanding where they've been, you know, what's your story? Where are you from? What are some of your earliest experiences about money? I mean, just simple questions like that can lead to very profound thoughts and information. And so we're not trying to turn advisors into psychiatrists or psychologists or therapists, but what we want to do is we want to understand, well, what are these stories. And what's going to come out here with this first tool, the Fiscalosophy, you're going to get the stories. And once we understand the stories, then we can say, okay, now I start to understand why they're behaving in this way today because of the story that they just shared with me and the profound impact, the lasting impact that that experience had on them. Now, knowing that, I'm probably not going to barrel ahead and just hit them over the head with a hammer and say, well, you need to be doing this. Okay. Now I can take into consideration why they're not doing this and maybe ease them into a different way. Or maybe with that knowledge of where they came from, maybe I'm going to approach it from a different angle that they might better understand and might lead them toward making some better behavioral choices. Yeah, I mean, and it's amazing. We You, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. Every advisor has had the experience where they're just not listening or that kind of client's just not listening. And it's not necessarily there isn't a willingness to listen. Is that in a lot of ways, we're kind of approaching it sometimes as a square peg being rammed into a round hole. If we can just understand the shape of the hole or the experience that's leading them to prevent, prevent them from taking action, we can try something else that might be far more effective than what we're trying. And if it's not in one's process to understand where they came from, then if you run into that roadblock, you got no choice but to go back. But I think it's a really great foundational stone to, to start off with. So that's, that's dealing with the past. Your next step is your ROL index, which deals with the future. Take us through, unpack that part of it for us. Yeah, so the ROL index deals with the present. So we really want to understand, well, where are you right now? And so what we've designed there is a series of 20 uh, statements, essentially. And each of those, those 20 statements are categorized into what we call 10 aspects. So these are Things like, what am I getting a return on my education? Am I getting a return on my housing? Am I getting a, a return on my achievement? And so two of the questions for each of those 10, one of them is related to money and one of them is related more to the qualitative aspect of that. And then after they answer these 20, we they click submit, they get some results. And basically what it shows is it takes uh, those those answers and the answers are scaled from one to ten, so they move a slider from one to ten depending on how strongly they feel on that particular statement. If they answer closer to ten, then that means they agree fully with that statement. Closer to zero means they they don't agree with that statement. And ultimately, when we add everything up, 
we scale it on one to 100, closer to 100, we call that the ROL index, the return on life index. So the closer they are to 100, the closer they are to actually getting the best return on life that they possibly can. And then we further break it down into three categories that we call well-being, progress, and freedom. So those 10 aspects are broken down into the three categories. And then we give a score on a scale of one to 100 for each of those three categories. So ultimately what you end up with here are like four dials, okay? And you can look at those and we can see, the client can see just by looking at the visual results on the screen, where they may be falling short, where they may not be getting the best return on life right now with the money they have. And then that opens up the opportunity for the advisor to have a conversation with them along the lines of, well, you show here that your return on work is really low. So let's explore that a little bit. What are you not feeling good about as it relates to your work? They might say, well, I hate my job. (laughs) Or they might say, I feel I'm underappreciated. Or they might say, I feel like I'm underpaid for what I do. Now the advisor can put their coach hat on and they can, if they want to, engage in a bit of a dialogue here about, well, let's talk about that. What are some things that you possibly could do to improve that situation about feeling underpaid? Client might say, well, I could maybe ask for a raise or maybe I could look for another job where another company might more fully appreciate my talents and skills. So now we sort of get a list of the things they could do. Then the advisor could say, okay, well, Looking at that list, is there something that you're willing to commit to, some small action that you can take in the next day or two to make some progress to move forward to improve the situation? And then with our tools here, with the system, the advisor has the ability to actually put that into the software and can track that. So the client might say, well, I can go to my boss and just explain to them that I'm not happy with what I'm getting paid and I feel like I should get a raise. And the client may commit to doing that. So we can put that into the system And then a week later, the advisor could just shoot him a little email and say, hey, Joe, it was uh, great to meet with you and Betty last week. And uh, one of the things you mentioned was that you were going to talk to your boss about perhaps getting a raise or what would have to happen for you to get a raise. Just checking to see how that went. So now you're working with them not as an assets under management or not as dollar signs. You're working with them one-on-one as a human being for whom you can really add some value and for someone that you really care about. And at the end of the day, that's what the client's going to remember. They're not really going to remember whether you made them 10% or 12% or 6%. They're going to remember the impact that you had on their life and something like helping them have the courage to move forward and ask for a raise might be that thing that just kicks off a a whole new level of depth of your relationship. Yeah. And I would actually argue that when they come to us and think they know what they're asking for, which is, you know, help me invest my money and do this and earn return, at the end of the day, that's not what they're asking about. They're asking a deeper question of help me get to some other point. I have it as a distant abstract goal in the future. And everything you're talking about lends itself to the to the actual way that we can actually implement change for clients' lives versus the things we can't do, which is control markets. Right. And so I always find it hilarious how much time this industry obsesses about something it has no direct control over while simultaneously ignoring the things we do have control over, which is enabling our clients to make the right decisions and organizing their lives. So so that's that's the assessment of the now. Let's talk about the next stage, which is the the lifeline, the future plans. Talk to me about how that works. Yeah. So the way the lifeline works is we actually start off by having 
the advisor enter in like the year that the client was born. And so then what that does is it kicks off a visual lifeline. So let's say they were born in 1960. So this lifeline starts with 1960, 61, 62, 63. And then it'll also calculate their age. So you can look at this visual lifeline either by year or by age, and it can be for an individual or it can be for a couple. So ultimately what we want to do then is we have six broad categories of life transitions. And within each of these six categories, we have anywhere from maybe five to 10 life transitions that are related to those each of those categories. So as we work with the client on this, we look at the first category and maybe the first category maybe is, uh, let's say health. So we look at a series of transitions related to health. Maybe it's taking care of a loved one who has an illness or an aging parent, that sort of thing. And then what we do is we say, okay, they pick one of the transitions and then we said, okay, is that something that we're dealing with right now? Is this you know a, a current year or is this like two years from now that we want to deal with? So we want to know the time frame of when we want to deal with it. Second is what's the priority that you want to deal with it? Is this a high, medium, or low priority? Third is, is this something that just affects you? Is it something that affects the two of you as a couple? And with that information, then it pops it right on the lifeline in the appropriate year or the, or the appropriate age. So after we go through all of these transitions, what you end up with is a visual timeline or lifeline that shows all the transitions they anticipate happening. It identifies for whom that transition applies, one or both of them. And it also shows the priority that we need to plan for. And then down below the visual lifeline, we have a chronological listing of those which has additional information related to, for each transition, we have what we call things to think about, which is essentially a blog post related to that transition. And then we have questions to ask, which is also dialogue questions that the advisor can use as prompter questions to discuss issues related to that transition. So ultimately, when we're done with this particular conversation for that day, we're going to have the client identify the one or two maybe three transitions that are top of mind right now, high priority that we need to plan for. So each time you meet with the client and have a review meeting, this lifeline tool gives you the roadmap for the conversations because it's identifying the planning opportunities that are important to the client that need to be taken care of while at the same time visualizing everything going forward. So there's a lot more to it than that, but that's just the gist of it. I mean, it's a lot more powerful to see your entire life summed up on one page or one screen and a lot more uh, likely to make you face your mortality to some degree too. But it sums up that, you know, just how far you've come on so many milestones and then, you know, what's left. It makes you wonder what's going to fit less. So I can see that being a powerful visualization tool. So basically, I'm curious about the feedback that you guys get, both from advisors and just the client success stories. So what are advisors saying has been the big change to their practice once they've adopted what you've basically espoused here? Well, I would say several things. So one is that a lot of the advisors that come to us, obviously they're self-selecting. And by that, Mm -hmm. I mean that they're already predisposed to a life planning mentality. Maybe most likely they've already been doing some form of life planning in their practice. But the biggest problem or one problem that a lot of them face is they never had an organized methodology or a track to run on, to actually implement it that was repeatable. And I don't want to use the word scalable because I, I, I hate say, saying, you know, we're trying to scale our practice. It's like, you know, you, you scale fish, you know, you don't scale people. So I, I don't like to look at it that way, but we do give you an operational framework and the training with it. So that's one of the key things 
is with this frame of the past, present, and future, with the three questions that it answers, with the structure of the tools themselves, with the training, the ongoing training that goes along with it, and a community of advisors who are all thinking and delivering service in this way, that is definitely a huge advantage. I would say a second benefit is just the depth that this type of conversation will take in your client relationships. And we had an example here recently where we had one of our advisors who shared a story that he had with one of his clients as he was going through one of these tools. They were talking about work and his client, I may get the ages wrong, but the client was, I'm going to say in his, let's say he was maybe 50 or 52 years old. And the client had just inherited some money from his father. And with that money combined with other money that he had saved meant that he could retire at that age if he wanted to. Trying to make a long story short, turns out that the client did not want to retire, felt like he had to work to age 62. And so the advisor, as he's sharing in the story, says, well, why age 62? And he said, because that's when my dad retired. And my dad worked his whole life, super hard, didn't like his work, but he did it because he wanted to provide support to our family. He retired at 62. He died. He didn't live a whole lot longer after that. And so the client said, I feel like it would be a slap in the face to my dad if I retired before he did, after all he did to help put food on the table for my family. So then the advisor looked at him and he, he said, let me ask you this. If your dad were alive today, what would he suggest that you do here? And the client thought about it for a moment. And he said, I think what he would say is, don't do what I did. And so this was like a really deep aha moment for the client that he was really wrapped up in this idea that he had to delay retirement to 62 because his dad worked so hard. When in reality, his dad was doing that to give his children a better shot than he had. And uh, anyway, it was just the, the way the advisor yeah. described this. It was, I mean, I, I still get goosebumps, you know, thinking about him telling this story. And to me, that's the power, not just of these tools, but that's the power of a great financial advisor who understands what it's like to be in a one-on-one -on -one human relationship with someone that no technology is ever going to replace. A technology can augment the conversation like our tools are doing, but ultimately it's about the advisor and the depth of the connection that they have, the empathy that they have, the understanding that they have, uh, which in this case was just marvelous. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. You know, so many people, or all of us, go along telling ourselves we need to do something because of X, and until someone else points out, is that reason that you think you need to do that valid in a approachable way, as opposed to saying it the way I just did? You know, we don't often stop to think of, you know, what? Geez, you know, in his case, wait a minute, that father's sacrifice was so that I wouldn't have to make that sacrifice, right? And once, unless someone basically gets you to take a step back and realize that maybe you're looking at things the wrong way, you just keep on going, right? <laughs> until you maybe get to, maybe it's too late to realize that. Uh, that's what it is. But yeah, it's right. And it's, and, you know, and one of the ahead. other things I love about that story is the advisor wasn't telling him what to do. He wasn't telling him, yeah, you should retire. He was asking a question. He was offering up. And to me, the, the brilliant thing was if your father were, were alive today, what would he ask you to do? What would he suggest that you do? So it's not the advisor telling him what to do. It's helping the client come to their own conclusion because that's when they're actually going to do it, when it's their idea, not the advisor trying to tell them what to do. Well, that's what I say. The uh, that's, that's, that's the best kind of financial planning is you're just laying it out for them and bringing the conclusion that's obvious. And yeah, it's uh, it's a common tactic in my practice. <laughs> but uh, And I, I always refer to it too as it's no one wants the obligation of retirement, but we all want the option. 
right? And then be able to make that choice whenever you want to. But I'm preaching to the choir and I digress. So in addition to the software platform, you clearly, you know, you built out a lot of supporting materials to go along with this to make it, I'm not going to use the word scalable, but repeatable. Uh, you know, I think you'll agree that financial planning doesn't quite scale the way people think it does. You know, there's only so many relationships we can maintain. But what uh, what have you done on the side of this software package to basically help uh, people facilitate this in their practice? Well, several things. One is each month we have what we call a learning hour. And that's when Mitch and I uh, get together on a, uh, uh, we're doing it on Zoom right now. And we invite all of our clients from around the world to get together once a month. And these are currently being held on the third Thursday of each month at noon Eastern time. So we vary those. So sometimes it's Mitch giving a presentation for maybe half an hour on, on some topic. And then we open it up for Q&A. Sometimes I do it. Sometimes we have another team member do it. Sometimes we have special guests. This year in January of 2022, we did something a little bit different. And we started off with a little bit of uh, conversation about the, uh, what we'll call, we call them like uh, deeper dialogues. So we wanted the advisors to practice what it's like being the recipient of the kind of question that the advisors can ask their client. And so the question that we asked them was uh, something along the lines of, what's your earliest fondest memory of, of money growing up? And then related to that was, what of that has still stuck with you as an adult? So then we had everybody, you know, we put everybody in the Zoom breakout rooms. Uh, each of them had an opportunity. We had five people in each breakout room. And then they each had a few minutes to share their money memory. And then what of that has stuck with them as an adult? Then we brought everybody back to the main group. And we asked one person from each of the groups to share with the rest of us what that story was and what stuck with them. And the feedback that we got from that was just how powerful that was. And what was interesting is that the advisors might be asking clients that question, but now it's the advisors asking each other, being the recipient. So they're feeling like, okay, so this is what it feels like to be a client you know, on the other end of the table. And it was really amazing to hear some of the stories that came out. And I popped into uh, one of the rooms there to listen to some of the stories that the advisors were sharing. And it just you know, melts your heart when you hear about it's, you know, some of the stories about why an advisor became an advisor because of a story around money when they were growing up. So I just feel like a kid in a candy store sometimes with the work that I get to do and the types of things that I get involved in. And that would be one example. Yeah, it's uh, it's the old shoemaker's child problem, right? <laughs> They're around solving everybody else's money issues, and we don't often stop to take care of our own. So it's uh, very, very common, common issue. So um, before we wrap up, there's three big questions I ask people just to kind of end on a positive note and, and get you thinking. The first one is, if you had one wish for something you could change in your company or the industry as a whole, what would it be? Well, what would I want to change? Everyone gets stumped. It's not uncommon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would say do the right thing. Maybe that sounds a little bit generic, but mm -hmm. I think oftentimes people might do the expedient thing. They might do the thing that generates the most money. They might do the most convenient thing. They might do the easiest thing. But I think ultimately, if we always keep in mind as say a value, as part of our value system, what is the right thing to do in this case? And in some cases, the right thing is to not make the sale. It might be to say, I'm really not the right advisor for you. I, there's someone else that I think would be a better fit for you. So the right thing in some cases is going to be negative, negative to you financially. And that's okay. So I would say that would definitely be an important thing is just, just do the right thing. And I think that can encompass so many different areas than just the financial side. 
Yes. Unfortunately, too often in this industry, the incentive is not for the right thing. It is what it is, unfortunately, but I would say I agree with you. Um, doing the right thing can cost you, but long run is is the right thing in many ways, not just ethically, but also business-wise. I find it pays dividends in itself. The number of times I've sent people away because they weren't a fit and found them a better fit and then have them refer people to me is is countless. Sorry. And my daughter's now visiting. Okay. Shh. Well, let's, yeah. let's bring her on the show. I, I was just recording a podcast last week and, and, uh, his daughter came on and I said, well, I'm going to leave that in. So her name was uh, Estelle. <laughs> so we had Estelle join the show. <laughs> she's, she's visited many times and we've edited it out of most times. So Chloe, can, yeah. you can sit there and eat. Yeah. So, um, second question I have for you is what's been the biggest challenge in getting the current RL platform to where it is today? I would say the biggest challenge is inertia. And by that, I mean that whether you're a financial advisor or basically anybody, I mean, it's just human nature that we want to keep doing what we're doing, particularly if we're successful. And the, the reality is most financial advisors have been really successful over the past few years because the markets have been good. And so to get them to try and adopt a new way of doing business, I would say has been a little bit difficult because what they're doing is working. So that I would say would be the biggest challenge is to get them to change the way that they're currently doing business and try and help them see that there is a way that might even help you do a better job of deepening your relationships with your clients and enhancing your discovery process. Yeah. You know, I found like so many businesses, I won't call it a rut, but you stick with what works for a while, but then over time it stops working the same way or the industry evolves around you. I mean, how much has the industry evolved around you in your, your days, uh, Steve? And I'm sure what what's being done now is significantly different than what was being done before. So frankly, you know, I kind of looked at, I was looking at my practice as a constant evolution. And, you know, if more people did look at constant improvement and, and evolving, I think you'd have an easier time, but it's, it's, you know, if it's working, money's coming in and you're busy and you don't have time to work on it, I understand why that happens, but it is what but uh, sooner or later, you got to rebuild it from the, from the bottom up. So that's what it is. Last question is, what excites you the most about what it is you're working on every day and keeps you getting out of bed in the morning to keep on fighting the good fight and, and preaching this, this belief? It's different every day. I mean, what I, what I love about life, what I love about the financial services business, what I love about podcasting, what I love about ROL advisor, working with advisors is I'm such a curious person and I feel very fortunate and blessed that I get to get up Every day I have good health, I have a good family, and I get to talk to people. I get to satisfy my curiosity. I get to talk to really fascinating people. I get to learn. So to me, I love learning. I love talking to interesting people. I love learning new things. I also think of myself somewhat as a translator. And what I mean by that is I'm constantly taking in new information, new insights. And then I think if I were to have a superpower, it might be something to the effect of being able to take in all of this information from a lot of different areas, a lot of different unique sources, and then synthesize it and then reconfigure it and then communicate it back out in such a way that a lot of people can understand it and can benefit from it and can use it. So to me, I feel very blessed that I get to get up every day and, and do uh, get to do that. That is a super a superpower in itself. It's too many of us are easily overwhelmed by massive inundations of information. The more you can synthesize the, uh, or the more you can rely on people who can, the better off you are. So Steve, I wanted to thank you for taking the time. Greatly appreciate it. And I may not be a user of your platform currently, but I am definitely a believer in its ethos. So maybe it's momentum, but uh, we can talk about that later. But thank you so much. I appreciate that, Jason. And for those of you that might want to learn a little bit more, you can go to roladvisor.com to get all the information. You can also pop your email in there and you can get a free seven-day 
email video course to learn a little bit more about some of the concepts that we teach and uh, would love to have you part of the program. Thank you yet again. And that was this week's episode of Fintech Impact. I hope you enjoyed that. And like I said, if you're an advisor in the space looking to have deeper relationships with your client and improve out life outcomes for them, then I highly suggest you take a look at it. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever's in your podcast. And until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.